so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the breaking zone! Get your hinge towns hammered down, the mayor has taken office. Welcome to episode 41 of Motorsport 101. Yes, indeed. Welcome to episode 41 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison. Ignore my phone going off in the background. That's really professional of us on this show. <laughs> Our standards are clearly amazing. This totally isn't going into the blooper special. Um, Another one for the outtake reel. God damn it. We're so professional <laughs> round here. <laughs> But um, as I shut my bedroom door in an angry and repetitive fashion, uh, I'm on episode 41, and uh, as with me, as ever, with me, obviously, Mr. Andre Harrison, we have Mr. Adam Johnson. Hello, sir. Hi. And there was me thinking that it was only NASCAR that would have close side-by-side finishes this weekend. How wrong was I? Wrong, wrong, wrong. We'll be talking all about that in the closest MotoGP finishing weekend you will ever see. Incidentally, folks, anyone listening... Me and King are trying to persuade Dre to get the next NASCAR game because it looks good and our mission to convert him to liking NASCAR continues. King, explain this. Like, what is wrong with you people? Why are you making me suffer like this? Well, well, suffer. You're missing out on enjoyment. <laughs> Don't you start this with me. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only thing left between you and becoming a full-on American. You're almost there. This is like your final challenge. I'm not. I'm not sure I'm ready for this, you guys. You know, <laughs> as soon as you like, literally, all you have to do now is like kneel down in front of me, like you're joining the Wyatt family, and be like, "I like NASCAR. NASCAR <laughs> is great." That'll be it. You're like, "Welcome to America." No, I must resist. <laughs> Never. You'll end up like Daniel Bryan. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I, I must admit, I do find the prospect of a NASCAR game strangely appealing right now, given... Especially as it looks like the next one's actually going to be really good, because the last few have been absolute elephant droppings. Yeah, yeah shut up, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay tuned on that one. It comes out in September. Who knows? I still have my... I'll cap- be doing a plays video of it. I, I still <laughs> have my capture card leaned up next to my television, just in case something came up. Just a thought. In this episode of Motorsport 101, however, though, as we get through the set list, Indy 500 news, obviously, with the Indy 500 taking place next weekend, um, well, this Sunday, the time of recording, we talk about qualifying as the mayor of Hinchtown, Mr. James Hinchcliffe, takes pole position and the entire sport rejoices in a wonderful and touching moment. Yay! Um, we'll also talk about Andretti showing some real form with Ryan Hunter Ray on the front row, and the general talk of Alexander Rossi's awesome 11th place upon his debut, which is good to hear about. And also the struggles regarding Penske and Ganassi. It's been very, very interesting, as well as the salt in the Letterman camp from one Bobby Ray Hall. Yeah, I know you're really surprised at this information, but yes, the Ray Hall family has been salty about something. This time round, it's domed skids. We'll talk all about that. And well, as talking about Sage Karam and a very interesting article that came out on the on USA Today regarding that and his 
his his mental status going into the Indy 500 um, more than six months after he was involved in the tragic accident that obviously made us lose Justin Wilson's life and obviously the scale of that and mental health in sports in general I think it's a lot of interesting stuff that's definitely worth talking about um, regarding that we'll also talk about MotoGP and their latest weekend at, Mag- at Mugello one of my favourite rounds of the year and the action did not disappoint all three classes delivered some fantastic races as Jorge Lorenzo stole the Mugello win from under the nose of Mark Marquez as Valentino Rossi suffers a home blowout robbing him of 100,000 mad people in yellow going ballistic it's not as bad as you think it is trust me also, you talk about, holy shit, an actually good Moto2 race as Johan Zarco wins a 10-lap sprint over Lorenzo Baldassari, robbing another Italian of a win. But we'll also talk about the quick restart procedure that caused a whole heap of problems regarding that. It was and- literally anything but quick. E- exactly. We'll talk all about that later on. And, of course, Moto3, which if you have not seen yet... <laughs> Go out and see it right friggin' now. You have my permission to stop listening to this podcast, dedicate 45 minutes of your time to find this Moto Free round, and then watch it, and then come back and listen to the rest of the show. Thank me later. You will not regret this. We'll also He's talk, right. We'll also talk about Formula One news as we as, as there's often debates now kicking out about who gets Renault's upgraded engine, if it's going to be ye old Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricciardo getting that engine so we'll be talking all about that we'll be talking about Rio Harianto not being able to see out the year because at this point I think we should just sponsor up with Manor at this point I really do I feel like we're missing out on something we, we, we should be getting a slice of the royalty pie given the amount of marketing we've given the Manor F1 team at this point <laughs> I think it's more just us pandering to our fans in Sarah Connors and Elizabeth Worth let's be real that's a you problem <laughs> not a me problem <laughs> you're the one who decides the set list not me I listen to King on this one it's his fault <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't say let's talk about manor all the time on the show <laughs> liar <laughs> we'll also talk about the red bull ring potentially getting expanded and the reasons for that and we'll be talking about a lot of plans coming out of the Le Mans camp right now so a lot of interesting news and, more, and probably a whole heap of other internet references all that and most likely a whole lot more on this edition of Motorsport 101. And let's start out with the Indy 500. We, they had their, obviously it's been the, the week of Indy 500 practice and obviously qualifying this week. The race itself is, is next is next Sunday. And uh, we had qualifying and Hinchcliffe, he was fastest in pre-qualifying to separate the top nine from the rest of the pack. And uh, we all thought, oh, that's really cool. Maybe Hinchcliffe can actually have a chance at this one. And then next thing you know, Kaboom. <laughs> During the fast nine, out of nowhere, James Hinchcliffe qualifies on pole position for the Indy 500. And uh, Johnson, this is just a simply unbelievable story. Rejoice in the streets, have house parties for the sake of it, raise a glass in celebration. This is great. I mean, this would be a wonderful story anyway. This is a guy who is universally loved by the fans. If you're into IndyCar, probably one of the reasons you got into it or enjoy most about IndyCar is Hinchcliffe and then straight in at number two, Connor Daly's bromance with James Hinchcliffe. Literally, mm-hmm. he is perhaps the most charismatic guy in uh, American open-wheel racing, right up there alongside, I think, Helio Castroneves probably will challenge him on that one the just bomb. through the sheer power of his grin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> his sort of beaming smile. 
Um, and, the hair, but, and the hair is never affected by the race, no matter how long he's been racing for. His hair always comes out immaculate in the post-race interview. It just is. It's like those old action movies where, like, he, he, they do the action hero would do like a big sort of barrel roll or jump around and everything. His hair would be all out of place. He'd run his hand through his hair once, and he'd be immaculate again. It's perfect. It's like, it's like, it's like watching the A Team. It's hilarious like that. <laughs> yes, uh, pretty much. Yeah. But I mean, what's what's even better about this story is the synergy of it, the poetry of it. The fact that this time last year, uh, just post qualifying, he'd qualified for the uh, the great America, well, the, the great race twenty fourth, and then the day after was fighting for his life in in A and E, having had one of the most hor- horrific accidents at the speedway we've seen in many a year, mm-hmm. and he had to sit out the entire rest of last season uh, to recover, and now he's come back to Indianapolis, the place that nearly claimed his life last year, mm-hmm. and is on the pole for the 100th running of the Indy 500. Dre, if Michael Bay wrote this for some sort of glorious action movie <laughs> in between doing Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, you'd just throw it out. You'd be like, Mike, that is the most ridiculous pile of bollocks you've ever written. Come back when you've given us a more believable story. Yeah, yeah, no but one would... Reality buy- is stranger than fiction, and I love it sometimes for that. Yeah, like, this This is just an incredible situation, and it was around about a year and a half ago I started getting into IndyCar and Hinchcliffe was a guy that immediately stood out to me as an incredibly entertaining charismatic guy a real great ambassador for the sport he's done all these all these promotion works um, with GoDaddy and you know with Danica Patrick and you know he was he was always in videos for humorous stuff with IndyCar and there's no coincidence. Hinchcliffe is, is a tremendous character and a, the kind of guy you'd want in any series as promotion because he, he, the guy just sells himself, quite frankly. And from all the reports I've ever read about him, a genuinely wonderful guy as well. And, you know, always gives a ton back to his fans. We all saw it after Indianapolis, the Grand Prix, where he finished third last week and he said he was going to donate his winnings to the Alberta Fire Reef, which you can do as well. There is a link to the description on last week's episode and I promised that I'd give two pence for every play for last week's episode in the description. So I'll mention that as well in there when this episode goes live. How, what the final count will be on that one, I'll probably bump it up a little bit myself anyway because sod it, I'm a nice guy. But um, essentially, yeah, he, he he is a tremendous ambassador for the sport and, you know, it, it's... it. I mean, King, you can, you can come in on this one because this, this is something you can relate to a little bit more, more unlikely. But um, I, I, I've noticed that if there's one thing I didn't notice over this, it was just the sheer jubilation, not only from the Arrow team from and Sam Smith, who was barreling down the pit lane. <laughs> he couldn't. Well, that was a really touching scene because obviously everybody knows that Sam Smith is a paraplegic, and you know he he could he, he was wheeling down there. He could he was he couldn't wait to celebrate with him, and just a general good feeling through the entire IndyCar paddock from. You know, obviously from Hunter Ray on the press conference to New Garden to Connor Daly was hilarious Instagram quote where he talks about after a suspension it punched Uranus, which I thought was oh, just, oh which is just hilarious <laughs> in its own right. And Hinch has always taken the accident with, you know, a sense of humour more than anything else, as well as um, you know, obviously good spirits and stuff, just this focus attitude. But the goodwill through the IndyCar camp was just incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, this was massive for James Hinchcliffe to win pole for the 100th Indianapolis 500 because since he's returned to Smith-Peterson from Andretti, he's he hasn't really seen the same success. Mm. Well, except for, you know, his win at New Orleans last season, he really hasn't seen, you know, the, the podium that often and 
to win pole is truly a huge achievement. It, it's his first career pole. Yeah. He, he saved that one for a hell of an occasion. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, again, it's, it's just the kind of thing that fairy tales are made of. I mean, there was a beautiful picture of him and Kanan of a very long I know him and Kanan are very good friends. And there was a very, very warm embrace between the two of them. And I had a lump in my throat watching it. It, it, it was... It was wonderful, and the, the, again, the, the unanimous support on Twitter was just incredible. From um, from like from people like Will Buxton, from everyone on Twitter, like Scott Dixon, Hunter Ray. Um, I saw obviously I saw Daily Marco Andrea. I know he's very close with with Marco, and it, again, it, it's it's like sport. I said it before. Sport is an inspiring, empower empowering thing sometimes, and. You get sometimes you get little magical moments like this. Like for, you can make an easy example, for example, Leicester this Premier League season. Of course, I wonder what the odds were them to win the league. I can't remember what it was. I think it may have been five thousand to one or something. I think uh, it was. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, it's it's, it's never been mentioned or anything. But uh, you should know, Captain Bookmaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hope your employers don't hear about you not knowing the odds. <clears throat> Guy's got to work on his promotion game, clearly. Um, <laughs> but essentially, I mean, it's it is one of those just unbelievable stories, and it and it it wasn't a fluke. He did it on pure merit. He was fastest in pre-qualifying. He was fast. And he, he was just ultra consistent. I mean, all four laps are in the high two thirties for miles an hour. He had three two thirty ones in pre-qualifying. It was the only guy to have more than one lap that was two thirty one. So as much as this was, you know, you could say it was a miracle, and you can make the fairy tale accusations, and of course it is, because it's just the story is just incredible. But um, Johnson is legitimately incredibly fast here. I mean, this is a great turnaround, isn't it? Because for the for the last year and a half or so, it feels like the. Uh, the Honda teams have been behind the eight ball. And this is, um, <clears throat> you know, with with the exception of a few bright spots for the likes of some of the standing drivers for Hinch last year um, and that Nola race, which kind of almost doesn't count, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, right this has been a long time coming for some bright spots for uh, Sam Schmidt's team, isn't it? And this is a guy who has, has now successfully lapped Indianapolis, the track that he's formerly raced at before in a car that I believe he was literally only controlling with his senses or his... his, his uh, you know, because he's a uh, paraplegic mm. uh, or a quadriplegic, isn't it? Yeah, quadriplegic, yeah. That's quadriplegic, cool. indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to make sure I've got my terms right. But um, yeah, it was. This is a guy who has, who has fought through everything and to have seen his own driver. I mean, last year, like, there was moments where Hinch's heart wasn't beating last year. Th that was it. He was effectively dead for a certain period of time. Yeah, clinically. This is. Mm. It's, it's literally. I've said it before, you, you can't write this, but what, what, how heartening is it this year that after all the... We've had a lot of controversy about the aero kits and, you know, the various uh, dichotomies between the two manufacturers and the, the contrasting fortunes. Last year, it felt like Honda were playing catch-up for the entire season. Now, they're on the front row of the 500 and their teams have really completed a 360 turnaround. Andretti Autosport have looked very, very good. Marco's on the front row mm -hmm. uh, also. Uh, this is... Uh, it's a lot more impressive, isn't it? This is... Uh, looking shaping up to be a lot more competitive when Penske aren't on the front row of an Indy 500 you know the field is absolutely wide open and I think an even bigger shock um the Ganassi cars not really anywhere near no. most of the top 10 that was even more of a shock to me yeah. so this is to me this feels like this could be one of the most open 500s in a good few years since probably 2013 maybe before that 
Yeah, exactly. It was an incredibly close run thing. I mean, I run down the the, the top order real quick, and uh, I mean, Hinchcliffe was on pole with with a two thirty point seven six zero average, which are they that they like the miles and hours in here rather than the straight up time difference, so to speak. But Joseph Newgarden as well, a brilliant effort for him. Not obviously not been spoken about quite as much, but still a heavy fan favorite. Joseph Newgarden in second place, just four just four hundredths of a second behind on average speed there in second place. Ryan Hunter rail on the, uh, in the it's Andretti's three. Four and five in, in qualifying here with Hunter Ray third, Townsend Bell in fourth place, uh, clearly powered by his immeasurably brilliant flat cap, and Carlos Munoz in fifth. And Munoz has always gone well on the oval, so I'm not entirely surprised he's in, he's in the top five, but they were the only five guys over 230 miles an hour over their four lap, over their four lap average. Will Power in sixth, Michaela Lotion in seventh, which pissed off the Americans given his time to get into the fast nine was right on the buzzer after Hunter Ray set a late qualifying run, which obviously pissed people off, but uh, Michaela Lotion has been done very well. So Schmidt-Peterson first and seventh. They'll be very happy with that indeed. Simon Paginot in eighth. For the, he's the top of the Penske runners. Actually, no, sorry, Powers in sixth. So Penske six, eight, and nine, as well as uh, Montoya in 17th, which was a bit surprised. Apparently a plastic bag affected his his, his best qualifying run. Very yeah, there was a little bit of controversy oh over that, God. wasn't there? Because, um, hmm. uh, King, you might want to take me up on this one because... Um, as far as I remember, Montoya's actual qualifying run was very poor, but they realised that a black bag had blown onto the track and had affected uh, one of his runs, so they actually allowed him to take it again. Mm. Yes. Which caused a little bit of controversy here, King. Where'd you stand on this one? Yeah, I I feel like it, it was fair because, oh, I forgot which one of the ABC commentators kind of jumped to this conclusion, but it was it was down to the conclusion where the speedway felt like they were at fault for not providing a clear run for Montoya and it was not Montoya's fault for a a black garbage bag descending down from turn three and catching onto his car yeah so kind of weird but I can see why they did it. I haven't really got a problem with it. If, you know, if, if it's not it's not Montoya's fault, a bag just happened to be on the way, and if it did affect his run, and it shouldn't be there, why not let him go again? And they did. Made a massive difference, obviously. Um, as I said, Simon Pagano in eighth, the reigning series points leader. Ahead of Helio Castroneves, A in ninth place. Ahead of Oriol Servia in tenth. So three Schmidt-Peterson guys in the top ten. Brilliant job from, from Schmidt's boys on that one. And Alexander Rossi, 11th place on his first attempt. A brilliant effort from the Andretti, Andretti Herta car out there as well. But yeah, I mean, King, I mean, let's talk about this. Cause I know you'll, you know you're the more devout IndyCar man than I am, but... Uh, it is a little bit strange seeing the Penske and the Ganassi teams, probably the two top teams in the sport right now, all seemingly struggling right now. I mean, we all saw the Penske's were essentially middle order, and the, the Ganassi cars are even worse. I mean, looking at this list right now, Scott Dixon was their highest qualifier in 13th. You have Ganassi, yeah. you have Kimball in 16th, Kanan in 18th, Chilton 22nd. I mean... Not a good look for, for those guys. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's surprising how quick the the Hondas were, and especially the, the part-timers. Like, Townsend Bell was astonishingly quick in qualifying. I don't know where he got the speed from. The flat cap, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm not an advocate. I'm not an outclap for, for, for fat caps at all. I'm just saying, like I only have like six of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it is very peculiar. Again, the part timers 
again, like Townsend Bell was, was superb out there. Again, he wasn't a fluke. Again, he was fast all week. Townsend was right up there. In tow, out of tow, just fast all the way through. Um, running down the rest of the grid real quick. I'll run through very quickly. Sato 12th, Dixon 13th, then Marco 14th, Hildebrand 15th, Kimball 16th, then Montoya, Canaan, Bordet, Car Ed Carpenter, surprisingly low there in 20th place, yeah. giving his oval specialist. Gabby Chavez on the uh, making his return for Dale Coyne, uh, replacing Luca Felipe in the 19 car in 21st. Then Max Chilton in 22nd. Sage Karam, welcome back to him in 23rd. Get that man a shirt, please. Connor Daly in 24th, ahead of Pippa Man. Yay. Ahead of, Yay. Ahead of Graham Rahal in 26th place. I'll get back to that one in a minute. Um, ahead of Matthew Brabham in 27th, then Brian Clawson, Spencer Piggott, Stephen, um, Stephen Wilson in 30th, ahead of Jack Hawksworth, Buddy Lazier, and Alex Tagliani was the only man not to set a timer because of his crash in pre-qualifying. But I want to go back to Graham Rahal here for a minute. Now, of course you do, don't you? <laughs> I couldn't. You enjoy this way too much, don't you? I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I had to mention this because, like, Graham Rahal, we, let's be honest, we all expected him to be much higher up the order than this. Rahal has been very strong this season, last season. He's become the real breakout star of IndyCar the last year and a half or so. And he was down in 26th, and he had a lot of complaints about the overall speed of the car. He's dead adamant that he's got a good race package. Um, but even so, he's, he's got a lot of work to do from P26. And... Surprise, surprise, King. It was his dad leading the charge in the salt department. <laughs> I mean, looking at looking at what he said, he was salty about everything. He was salty about the dome skids. He was salty about the format in general. He was salty about everything. It's like, you know, I was going to go to I'm not happy. My son's just qualified 26th. And absolute respect to Pippa Man, but he's just been beaten by someone who this is normally their only race of the year. What on yeah. earth has just happened? Yeah, that's not a good look at all. Um, I'll read the column. It was, it was an article in Autosport talking about this, where um, leading IndyCar team boss Bobby Rahal believes the controversial domed skids have disrupted the Indianapolis 500 by making cars too unpredictable and inconsistent. And I quote, he goes, One day it is great and the next day it is horrible, said Rahal, whose son and lead driver Graham Rahal was only 21st in Saturday pre-qualifying. I don't know what the hell is going on, but something has to be done. <laughs> I think this own <laughs> skid probably has a lot to do with it. You see some really good teams struggling. I think the dome skid is making the cars really inconsistent. Rahal Jr. said Saturday's result had not come as a surprise. That's not what we hoped for, but the car has been giving me those these sorts of signs the last few days, he said. We went back out to try a different mechanical setup. I think it was better, but obviously still slow. We have to look at why this thing is not pulling. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the dome skids were talked about a fair bit going in to, to, to the 500 itself, and it could be a problem. But it turns out, and I think I'm going to direct this one towards King in general, that I just get the impression that by the time we actually got there and the racing had happened, that it, it wasn't really as big a factor. Because I've not seen anybody else complain about it since it's happened. Is that fair to say, Johnson? And King, yeah, feel free to chip in as well if you feel like it. Uh, I, I'd say it's fair to say. I, I mean, it seems like Ray Hall, like, 
Ray Hall, Letterman, and Lanigan were like the only team left to complain about it because uh, the big teams kind of got a grasp of how the dome skids would affect their car. Yes, they weren't as fast as they hope would be, as as they would hope, but they were still quick. the The smaller teams were the faster teams on the day, where you have you know Smith Peterson near the front of the grid, so that basically left you know Lee Hall, Ray Hall to complain about it because uh, they didn't. They didn't feel like they had a good understanding of what the what the dome skids would do to their car, and they weren't competitive. Yeah, very peculiar that. And again, like Ray Hall, I don't know if it's like I want. I, I'm trying to give him the class. I know I've got interpretation now of being a guy that doesn't like Graham Ray Hall. I do. I think he's a cool guy. I just think he gets very, very salty when things don't go his way. Um, so I think he's very vocal, isn't he? When things yes, haven't extremely. gone well. Yeah, <laughs> he has. He has no. He has no fear in shooting the bleep, essentially, when it comes to issues in IndyCar, and he's very vocal about it. But um, I've not seen anybody else share his concerns, which just makes me think how much of it is the car and how much of it is, is, it, is it the team, I wonder. Maybe they're trying to cover for something, the fact that their car's not been very good all the time. Or maybe they just haven't got a handle on the setup with these uh, dome skids, yeah. how it's changed for them. Exactly. Yeah, because, like, honestly, I was, I was expecting Ed Carpenter to say something, but then you realize, like, while Ed Carpenter may have qualified 20th, his his other car, Joseph Newgarden, he qualified second. Yeah, the, 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 you've kind of lost all ground for complaints if your teammate is finishing on the front row and Newgarden mm, was I, incredibly... Was I wonder, guys, I'm just going to put this out there. Mm. Um, do you think the... If there are issues with the dome skids, could it potentially be that it's a very narrow target to hit a good setup on? And some of these guys, maybe, maybe that would explain why the Ganassi drivers have been off pace. But I mean, the Ganassi guys haven't complained about it. They haven't mentioned anything. But I just wonder if it's a very sort of narrow sort of moving target to hit a good setup with these things on. And maybe the Ray Halls are, are more vocal because they're just deep down. They know they haven't. And they're just getting more and more frustrated that they haven't nailed the setup with it. Yeah, maybe. probably. Maybe, especially given the thing is, though, Ray Hall's still adamant his race setup is still really good. So I think Simon Pagano said something similar after qualifying in eighth. So maybe we'll see during the race Ray Hall come through the field. But, um, yeah, a bit of a concern where one of your main top-tier guys in the championship at the minute is uh, going through such obvious visual struggles and uh, obvious salt jokes to be made there. So get, get a stake in shape where, where that's concerned. Um, moving on. Now, this is a very interesting story that came out today I, I saw this on, on my twitter timeline and i felt like i wanted to talk about it and um it's 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 a it's a great piece by brant james over at um, usa today their sports section and um it was an article feature piece on sage Karam. now as you as many of you have known that sage Karam's not had not had the best 12 months so to speak he he, he was really starting to come together in indycar around this time last season he seemed to have been a very strong, you know, aggressive, but, you know, good good placing oval specialist. He had a couple of, in, of dodgy moments, but the guy looked like he was a real talent and a guy to watch out for. He was only 20 years old at the time and, you know, a real, you know, a guy to keep an eye on for the future in IndyCar. But uh, he, he crashed in Pocono and it was a part of his car that came off and that's what struck Justin Wilson in the head and that's ultimately what ended his life. And... Karen would then go on to lose his seat at Chip Ganassi due to lack of funding. That seat went to Max Chilton, as we know. And then he lost his spot in the sports car team again due to funding concerns. And 
now Cam's kind of, you know, he's, he's back for the 500 as a one-off entrant. Um, but he's, I mean, it, it was a great piece. I don't want to give too much away because I'd like you to go out and read it. Again, I'll put a link to this in the description for the podcast when it comes out. Um, but it's a very powerful piece by Brant, talking about Sage in the back and talking about his emotional experiences by, you know, de- de- dealing with with Justin's passing and him reaching out to people like Stefan, Justin's brother and other people that were involved and just the struggle that he's had to go through, you know, on track and off track since that's happened. And it's, it's something I wanted to talk about on the podcast because as much as I joke and as much as I like to, to, you know, as much as I'm a very, you know, I try and be entertaining when it comes to this podcast. I do like serious topics like this every once in a while because I, 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 I like having conversations that people wouldn't normally have. And I believe that... I, st- I still believe this, and this is something as a, a general sports fan that I've noticed over the years, and it's that I feel like the status of mental health in sport is still very much a taboo subject that people not many people talk about and i've seen many examples of this over the last few years i remember jonathan trott in the england cricket team who essentially pulled out because he felt like he was he was suffering from burnout and was well as suspected depression he was seeing a psychologist within england cricket and um many people like piers morgan cynically believe that you know it was a situation where he he'd given up on the team because he, he couldn't hack it so to speak, you know, the, the the nature of you know being manly, massive, you know, you know being masculine and whatnot, and obviously the nature of that being an impediment for when something goes wrong. I mean, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Snooker's had depression problems. I know that he's got a sports psychologist and whatnot, and we've seen it come up in many sports. I've again, I know Clark Carlisle in football case is another famous example where he almost committed suicide, he attempted suicide last year, and that was a very sad moment where, where football's concerned. But, Johnson, you know where I'm going with this, and it's, it's, it, it, was a, it was a gut-wrenching read for me when I, read, when I read this piece about Sage, and he is such a talent, and as much as we've joked about him on the show before, the kid is very, very quick indeed. And it's a real shame that his career has not, not only been held back by lack of funding, but also a mental barrier that he seems to have put up for himself since Pocono last season. It is, it's, it's so difficult <clears throat> to, to, to almost talk about. I mean, this is a, um, this is a subject that is, is close to, to our hearts uh, mm. without going into a huge amount of detail. Uh, basically, the fact is for you folks, more people than you probably know or assume have issues with have mental health issues at some point in yes, their life. Absolutely, be it anxiety, mm-hmm. of which I'm not afraid to admit I've had some really bad issues with mm-hmm. at various points. Uh, depression is probably the worst. Is one of the worst ones. It's one of the most evil ones. It's one of those that. That's awful. Uh, this is what I got from reading this interview with with Sage, who let's only, let's not forget is only 21. This yeah. year, he's three years younger than me, and I believe you too, Dre. Yeah. He's three years younger than both of us, and this is a guy who, age twenty, was a was a um, IndyCar rookie, and then had to go through something that no one should ever go through in sport. And um, the, the the horrible thing is with depression is that it doesn't it, it doesn't make any sense a lot of the time. And what really struck me in this this article was how he explained. The article explained that there were so many drivers who are reaching out to him 
um, you know, Stefan Wilson, uh, Justin's brother, who's driving in the 500 this weekend, reached out to him and said, Sage, wasn't your fault. And his father, Jody Karam, said the same thing. And there were other drivers reaching out to him uh, after this, uh, after the incident. But it almost didn't make any difference in his own mind because of how um, the nature of these mental health issues and the, the way depression works. It was almost like it, the mind was made up. And that is a horrific thing for someone to have to, to, to go through. And uh, what really touched me in this piece, it's, it's great to see him back at the 500. It's great to see him return to the track. I feel like with every lap he's turned, he will feel much more back at home again. Um, it just feels to me like one. it was one thing after another. Everything sort of fell apart at the end of last year for him in, in more ways than one. And seeing him back at the Indy 500 is fantastic. But what I also felt was very touching is he said he, he demands or really wanted to, and uh, I believe his counsellor also mentioned this, uh, he wanted a to return to Pocono. He wanted to race at Pocono again mm. to almost... It's it's like that sort of... Um, that uh, psychological way of kind of facing your fear. You oh, know, yeah. the, the only way to get over a phobia or a way of treating a phobia is to confront it head on. Mm. And it almost feels like that sort of psychological block, that, that, that mental issue, um, you know... He, he he says he says at the end of it. I won't spo- spoil anything else about the article. But he says I think in order for me to, to put for me to put all this behind me, I need to go through turn one flat again. It's simple as that. And once you do that, yeah, you're back for good. So he wants to. I, I hope they can put something together for him to go back to Pocono and and race there again. Because I think everyone. The the thing is, and this is the horrible thing about mental health in sport. No one in sport wants to admit a weakness. And if mental health, if mental health issues like this are a weakness, they are something that can make you really embarrassed and really yeah. feel like you're pretty useless. Like for some, like admitting some of the things that trigger panic attacks for, for many people can seem so like people are just going to laugh at you. And you mentioned the, the case there with, with Jonathan Trott, the fact that straight away he had peers King Morgan, mm. trying really hard not to swear here. Um, Feel free. In fact, he had Pierce Morgan banging on about not being a man and not being able to take it. There's why there's still a stigma around mental health issues today, not just in sport. That's exactly what sports people and a lot of people with mental health issues fear. You are conditioned in sport as an athlete, as a, as a professional sports uh, man or woman, to not show fear, not show weakness, uh, and not give your opponent anything. Yeah. So that directly contradicts the fact that in most cases, the best way to to open up about mental health issues is to talk about them. I've always. And that. this is why it's almost like one of the last taboos in motorsport. It's 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 kind of up there alongside the issue of um of coming out as as gay mm. uh, in the locker room. It's it's a very similar scenario. And I I really, you know, what's nice about this is that Sage appears to be. Uh, has has beaten off a lot of his demons but i feel like as soon as the green flag drops uh next weekend that'll be a big step forward for him as well i hope it's it's almost an upwards from here and i'm really pleased to hear that he's had plenty of support from from counselors from his own family and from the other drivers they've really rallied around him yeah that's all that's that, that's a wonderful thing to see and i i can relate i mean as a guy that grew up feeling like I was a terrible human being because I couldn't talk to people. I, I didn't find out I had Asperger's until I was 17 years old, and I'm 23 now. And it, 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 like I still often get ashamed of things like asking for help, and you know it's something that's affected me when I'm mentally. You and me both, man. Yeah, and like because there is still like mental health is still something that I think 
so many countries, so many areas of life need to need to address um, far more. This frequent. is not just a motorsport issue yeah. now. It's almost like a, a, a society-wide thing. Yeah, but absolutely. It, it sort of it sort of hits home more when a sports person comes out and admits it because it's almost like we hold them up as the yeah. great heroes and you almost assume they're above such things exactly like, it doesn't happen to them you know, we, we, we tend to you look at guys like Kirsten Senna we, we like for example we put them as sentient, sentient beings essentially where we often feel like they're invincible and you know we idolise them if we feel like they're unflappable they can't possibly suffer from something like this what are you talking about they're racing drivers how can they possibly do something like that and yeah, that reminds me and especially of, when you get yeah. into the whole argument of, oh, look at what they're, they're paid a huge amount of money to do what they want for a living. How on earth could they be depressed about anything? Exactly. It's, it's, it's just all those stein, it's all those kind of taboo, stigma, obvious stereotypes that don't add up. And when, when it comes to reality, because anybody can suffer from depression, it's a mental illness, like any illness. Anybody can get it at any time. It's a situation where it doesn't have to make sense for it to for it to not to happen it can happen during anything and it someone once explained to me that one of the worst bits about depression is it's not exactly like you can point to a bruise on your arm or like a an an arrow through your knee or something like that you can't go here look this is broken help fix me oh yeah you've got a broken leg something like that Mm -hmm. if you just say my brain's broken which effectively is what it is yeah they it's difficult. It's awful. It's it's awful in every way. I mean, King, have you got two cents on this real quick? Because I know you've been you know, been pretty quiet in this section. But. Yeah, I mean, ugh, Sage has gone through a lot in his career before this. Like, mm. mainly his conflict with the Andretti's, where he used to be an Andretti driver until I think he was about 17. And they just, they basically just dropped him because they, they knew he was going to be, he, he had a long-time rivalry with Marco Andretti. And he was much better than Marco I I know he raced with Andretti back in 2010 in the F2000 National Championship, and mm. he won he won the national championship, and it was a 12 race season, and he won I think he won eight he no he won he won nine of the of the 12 races that season, mm. and by two years later they basically just dropped him because they didn't want him anymore, and they and basically he needed a team to to give him a drive because he doesn't come from a well-off family. He, what his, I think his mom's a nurse and his dad's a school teacher, so they couldn't mm-hmm. afford to send him to go racing. So basically the Andretti's thought it would be the end of his career, that they thought they could get rid of Sage, that this would be, that IndyCar would be a place where he would not belong. It's awful. It's awful that, you know, they can manipulate the lives of teenagers like that that have dreams that they have aspirations and yeah like you're absolutely right sage has gone through things that most teenagers just don't go through and especially when you've been thrust into the limelight for you know being told you're going to be an amazing driver you've got all your career paths laid out in front of you and then to have it ripped away then come back and again again we all saw it last season he had some spectacular performances in places like Iowa, where he, you know, he got into that feud with Ed Carpenter, but he held his own out there. He, you know, and, and he was he finished in the top five on a couple of occasions. And the kid's an, an immense talent, and he should be in he should be an IndyCar full time, in my opinion. And it's it's again, it, it, it's gut wrenching that a guy that has to go through that kind of mental anguish, even though like having that mental blood on his hands, even though we all know that no one ever 
held Sage responsible for what happened to Justin by any stretch of the imagination. It could have, like, there's literally 10 million scenarios that could have happened with, with Sage going into that turn one on that lap. And most likely 9.999 million of them would not have killed Justin. It's just one of those incredibly unfortunate things that, but. I mean, all I can say is as someone that suffers from Asperger's and suffers from being on the autism spectrum and has to deal with it every day, all I can say is if if you have anything like anxiety, a mental health problem, talk to somebody. Seriously. Talk, do it. It feels like the scariest thing in the world. It does. But as soon as you know you've got someone, as soon as you have someone who doesn't immediately scream and run away as you assume that they will because how on earth can someone be friends with someone as messed up as you as soon as they you realize they're not running away and they're on your side that's like the most powerful thing in starting getting better Mm -hmm. and i speak from experience on that dre i I think you're in the same spot absolutely without question and all i can say is talk to people and it's a shame that i feel that motorsport and other sported entities have dropped the ball on this because i think it's a very serious matter that i don't think gets talked about enough and that's mental health in sport in general and i hope that pieces like this a great piece like i said on sage crime in usa today i hope it can encourage more people to start having those conversations because as much as as difficult as they sound and as daunting as they may be it, if it helps one person, in my opinion, it's worth it. And I know it seems hard. I know it. I know it's a complicated subject. That I know that many people just will not understand. But the more we talk about it, maybe we can all find a greater understanding for these things. And going forward, we can have a, a brighter, more understanding, and more respectful society in, in the sport and in the world in general. Because we all know mental health has still got so many stigmas and false stereotypes regarding it and hopefully going forward we, we can have a world a brighter world where these things just aren't brought up as much and maybe they're not as just as, as crippling a factor maybe we can all just deal with it a little bit better um but yeah there we go um moving on to moto gp and obviously a slightly brighter subject basically summation of that segment we're with this age yeah yeah we're age. absolutely without question going forward and we still need to go shirt anyway <laughs> talking about moto gp we had we had the italian grand prix at Mugello this past weekend and my word all three races were fantastic and obviously there was a lot of excitement in the air valentino rossi's home grand prix of course we all know his his influence on the sport is omnipresent at this point but over a hundred thousand fans had, had filed into Mugello for this grand prix and uh King, it didn't quite go his way on this one, did it? <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> it it was probably the wildest Moto3 race I've ever seen, personally. I, I can't say all time, but it's the wildest Moto3 race I've seen. Yeah, we'll talk about Moto3 in a minute, but um, it, w- it was a ridiculous Grand Prix in the sense of... Um, there was a big lap one incident, first of all, between Jack yeah. Miller, Alvaro Bautista, and Laurie Spaz at the back. That was that was quite crazy. Uh, luckily, Miller and Bautista are okay, but unfortunately, Laurie Spaz has uh, suffered, I think, I think, a broken ankle, so he's having surgery on that today, I believe, the time of recording. So hopefully, Baz will, will make a speedy recovery where that's concerned. But uh, Valentino Rossi suffered an engine failure with, I think, something like 15 laps to go. Uh, in the middle of the race, an engine blowout means, means Rossi had no chance of a home win, which I'm sure the Italian fans would have, would have probably 
giving up a pound of flesh. Uh, yeah, Italy. Mess with me. That, that was preemptive. <laughs> that was preemptive, Italy. You mess with me. Your boy you Rossi goes this, down. You started this thing. This is your fault, King. You do realize this is an act of war, don't you? <laughs> yeah, did I tell you our episode of Judge Rind has been moved back to next week? Oh, <laughs> Christ. Ryan King versus Italy. Oh, my God. Yeah, just... Uh, King wins this round. King King wins this round. It's like, your move, Yamaha. <laughs> your move, Italy. Uh, and as Grimm's Toy Show says on YouTube, people are pissed. <laughs> Let me get this they straight. They were booing Lorenzo out of the building. Let me get this straight, King. You, 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 you first you take on Italian women and then you take on their god. What is wrong with you? What possessed you against the country of Italy? I had to defend myself. I had a feeling Italy was going to attack me, so I had to, <laughs> pre- I had to take preemptive pre- strike. <laughs> yeah, preemptive strike. Pre- <laughs> no, no, you gave them the sucker punch, King. That's what you did. You, you, you put the banana in, in Rossi's tailpipe. Unfortunately, uh, Lynn Jarvis what? had to take one for the team today. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is, King, please never run for Secretary of Defense. No. <laughs> Oh my god, it's gonna be like season five of House of Cards all over again. It's, it's uh, yes, a preemptive strike from King meant Rossi could not finish the race. It turns out we had a two way scrap for the win between Jorge Lorenzo and Mark Marquez, very reminiscent of their feud a couple of years ago. Mark Marquez was considering to take the pretty conservative second place, but apparently, with about two laps to go, he pulled the pin and he thought, sod it, I'm Mark Marquez, I'm going to try and win this damn thing. And in what was an incredibly explosive and aggressive final lap from the pair of them. Marquez goes around the outside of the final corner, basically wipes the nose off Jorge Lorenzo. He has to stand the bike up, but Lorenzo keeps his foot on it, goes around the last corner, gets a toe off the back of Marquez's bike, and the Honda acceleration of the bike is so bad, Lorenzo was actually able to get a pull and beat Marquez to the line by one one-hundredth of a second. King, I think if you ever needed a microcosm for the problems that Honda has and the effort that Mark Marquez has to make, I think there's your example right there. <laughs> yep, just tears, tears everywhere. Like, I was just in shock that Marquez was able to get, like, a two-bike-length lead out of the last corner. Then it all just disappeared in a matter of a couple seconds. Yep, it, it looked like he had it. It looked like, I mean, you... Normally, you can't, there's not enough of a gap between the last corner and the start finish line to, to slipstream a guy and win. That, that, that normally just doesn't happen. Maybe in Moto3 it can happen because it happened with Miguel Oliveira last year as he took his first Moto3 victory. But normally that just can't happen. So it says a lot about the Honda situation. Their acceleration out of corners is so bad right now that Lorenzo was able to beat him to the line. It's just a an awful situation and Lorenzo admitted he was he, 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 he got lucky on this one essentially where he said um, if I had fought Rossi or Iannone for the win instead I would not have won because those bikes are much better on corner exit speed and obviously the Ducatis are insanely fast anyway so you know of course he's not going to win a dogfight against them but Marquez picked him off just the uh, unfortunate nature of it all there with uh, Iannone third on the podium set the fastest lap of the Grand Prix on the final lap ahead of Pedrosa Davizioso just started from 13th to finish in 5th. Maverick Vinales, who got into some real hot water at the start. I think he had an electronics problem, he said, after the race. That uh, he thinks rolled off a shot at the podium. But uh, even so, still only 8 seconds off the win this time. So Suzuki, again, showing some real progress. 
Um, Bradley Smith was top independent in seventh place. Out of Danilo Petrucci in eighth. Alicia Spagro in ninth. And the policeman. Everybody's favorite policeman. Michele Pirro in tenth. Random for the top ten for the Ducati team running the third bike. So, King, any chance of Casey Stoner coming back yet? Uh, I don't think they asked him during the weekend, do you? <laughs> no. No, he's not coming back. I don't. Maybe he's coming back. He's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not happening. I, I, think, I think he's trying to call me right now. <laughs> <laughs> King, help me. The Italians are after me. What have you done to them? <laughs> They're banging the door outside. Like, it's, it, it's raining outside my house right now. It must be them, clearly. <laughs> clearly, but um, maybe I'm missing something here. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that was great. That was, it was a very, very good Grand Prix. Very enjoyable. I, I highly recommend you go out your way to see it, as, despite Rossi's failure. And, and Johnson, we mentioned it before. I mean, for fuck's sake, why have they still got to have the Rossi fan club still act like total dickheads over this end of, end of podium celebration where, yes, Lorenzo won. He went on the podium and he was very, very loudly booed by the... By, the, the Tifosi, essentially, out there, the Rossi fans in yellow out there. And, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> Sneeze, that's not ideal. Um, but, essentially, it, it's it's not a good look, and it, it's, an, it, it's an ugly look for the series, given that Lorenzo and Marquez are doing nothing wrong, and yet, here they are, the Rossi families are still being bitter about what happened last year. It's, oh man, this is, I mean, I've not seen, like, a, a, a motorsport fan base backlash quite like this since, um, members of Junior Nation were pelting Jeff Gordon with beer cans after he won at Talladega and oh, happened to beat their God. golden boy, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And uh, I just remember Jeff Gordon's response in Victory Lane. Hey, I'm more of a Gatorade man myself. I wasn't feeling the beer right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it went something along those lines. He made light of it, but even so, this is... It just... Uh, I don't know. I, I've, I remember another example of this was when... Um, uh, if I remember rightly, I think Sebastian Vettel went through a period of being booed by the Tifosi in Monza. Uh, they are incredibly tribal. It's just the nature of, of, of sport fans down there. And for them, you know, as I said last year, if anyone else but Valentino Rossi had made those comments that he did, we'd have laughed him out of the park. We'd have said, what on earth are you talking about? You silly, silly man. Except it's Valentino Rossi, so we have to give it credibility. Um, apparently so. But mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It, it, to be honest, it looked to me like... I, I just enjoy the fact that, like... You know, not wanting to, yet again, AJ makes a WWE reference, but I'm going to go there anyway, so suck it. Um, uh, not wanting to bring that back in again, but this is very, it feels a lot like Roman Reigns and the WWE fan base right now. It's like Lorenzo's in the Roman Reigns position. No one, uh, the, the fans really don't want him there, apparently so. They're, they're kind of fed up with him as the golden boy. And Lorenzo at this point is like, do you know, I've kind of given up trying to count out to you. I don't care. I'm winning Grand Prix. You can, you can boo or you can cheer. It's, it's not really my consideration. I win. There you go. Yeah, sort I mean, of actually flipping them off, flipping off the fans on the podium, which is the first way to just incite a riot. But um, I mean, every time they go to Mugello, like it just astonishes me how massive Rossi's fan base is. Like during the during the you know the warm up lap, you just see this ocean of yellow smoke. Yeah, they. they I mean, uh, me and Dre remarked on this last yeah. year. We went to the last round of the British Superbike Championship at Brands Hatch. Uh, and on a dreary day in, what was it, October, November or so, I'm pretty sure about 60% of all the fans there we saw walking around had Valentino Rossi merch on. Yeah, the Yamaha merch or Rossi merch. You could, you could buy merch in, in, in the stands on the day. So people have just probably... Caps, T-shirts, all yeah, over the place. Probably, probably just gone in and bought a T-shirt or some shit like that, basically. And oh, I had such an invitation to get a Marquez shirt when I was down there to resist. <laughs> very, very largely indeed. But... Um, 
yeah, brand. That was that was something else. I mean, the the cult is enormous. It's it's it, it's too big to just be a cult. It's basically a fraternity at this point. And I still had a friend of mine that was actually down there for the weekend, and she was the only person waving a Marquez flag in a sea of yellow, as King said, yellow smoke and yellow <laughs> hats everywhere. It, it it was absolutely ridiculous and. I've never seen anything like it like that, and it's the most loud, audible booing I've ever heard in a motorsport event, probably ever. I've no, it was it was ridiculous, and I know Johnson made the Vettel example. It it was all through 2013. It was after Multi 21 happened. I think it was 10 rounds in a row. Vettel was essentially booed for winning. Whenever he did win, he, he was he, he got the sarcastic cheers when he conked out at Silverstone, for example, when he had the gearbox failure, and. It, it took Singapore and everybody would coming out and saying, okay, this is getting this is getting ridiculous now. This needs to stop, basically. Where there was that and Brundle telling the fans, no, that's not right, for it to finally stop. That's that's the extent it had gotten to for us to go, well, we can't have this no more, basically. And, uh, yeah, it's sad. It's sad that it has to be, it has to be a thing because... Um, but I will say I do love that Lorenzo is taking the pantomime villain role in all this now. I mean, it's gotten sad to the point where the Rossi fan club is now photoshopping images of him celebrating like he's giving the team the bird, which I think is just awful that it's gotten to this extreme. Really? Yeah. So, like, I've, oh. I've seen people photoshop making out like he's swearing at his team, but it, it, it's actually like the victory point finger like, like what Vettel did back in the day but they photoshopped to make it look like it's the middle thing. They, they put somebody else's hand on Lorenzo, basically. What? It's, it's, this is so pathetic. It, 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 it's, it's so horseshit. Like, I, I can't... King, I suddenly don't feel bad for you. Go at the Italians all you want, man. Yeah, free, <laughs> free shot. Go for it. I don't mind. Seriously. Brian King versus the world. Well, at least that bit. A- any parting shots for the Italian nation, King? Uh, oh, no, no. I, I think I'm done for the day. I think I'm done for the day. <laughs> You say this now, right? It's, it's, it's going to come up later, I, 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 I bet. I guess. It's hiding the RPG and waiting to deploy it for the next round. Yes, exactly. But, um, also, like Magello had another great part of the weekend. He actually had a good Moto2 round, believe it or not. I know it's, dun, dun, dun. it's a miracle. Like, Moto2's been a stinker for the last two years now, but that was actually a really good Moto2 round. But... Uh, we had to jump through quite a lot of hoops to get there. Johan Zarco won his first Grand Prix of the season in a very narrow two-tenth of a second victory over Lorenzo Baldassari. So again, he was this close to a home win uh, in two separate occasions. We'll get to the other one in a minute. But uh, Lorenzo Baldassari was robbed of a win <laughs> right at the death by Johan Zarco on the final lap. Uh, it was a 10-lap sprint race. The race was originally 16 laps, but it was red-flagged. In, in the early going, because I think it was Xavi Flerge, um at the back of the, the track near the chicane, suffered a crash, and the bike had gone into the into the back wall, and it had punctured one of the air fences. Now, for sa- yeah, for, so for safety reasons, they had to obviously stop the race in case somebody else goes off there. There's no protection, because they had to fix the wall. Very much a, a reminiscent accident of uh, Kimi Raikkonen and Felipe Massa, I believe it was, at Silverstone a couple of years ago where they did the fence in, so they had to fix the fence. Um, so the race was reduced from 16 laps to 11 laps, obviously to compensate for the time lost to fix the air fence. Just one problem. This was the first debuting case of the quick restart procedure, a brand new rule that was brought in uh, for this Grand Prix. And 
here, okay, for those of us who don't know how this rule is, and if you haven't found it, feel free to find it. It's kind of a bit of a farcical incident, really, but it's, for entertainment's sake, it's actually probably worth watching. What happened was, here's how the new quick start procedure works. It's basically designed to speed up the process of a race. Now, in a very similar move, I don't know if you remember, Johnson, do you remember the, the, the 2003 Brazilian Grand Prix where they had to go back two laps and fish it Oh, the rain, the, the absolute carnage rain race. I remember that, where yeah, literally yeah. everyone fell off and it was basically Fisichella won the race because he was the last man left standing two laps before even yeah. he died as well. It was, uh, the, yeah, that was that was chaos. Yeah, it was a big accident. It was, it was, the race had five safety cars. It had five safety cars and it, it, the race was called to a halt basically when I think it was Fernando Alonso had a big accident. I think it was one of the Jaguars that drove into the tire wall and the whole thing had spread out all over the track like somebody had spilt a glass of orange juice basically and the whole thing had gone up and basically they couldn't fix it and because the race was already past 75% distance they thought sod it let's just end the race now the rule is you go two laps back in time and whoever was over the line took the win but there was controversy where that was concerned back in 2003 because Fisher Keller was only about four seconds into that lap when he crossed the start finish line and the red flag came out so it took him a week to settle it and it turns out we had the very famous scene of uh, Ron Dennis and I think it was Kimi Raikkonen um, handing Fisher Keller his winner's trophy which was quite a, a very nice gesture from the McLaren team um, so to speak at the, at the Imola weekend but it was similar to that where you take the result from two laps prior um, so I think it was lap three they had to go to results so all of a sudden now I think it was Sam Lowe's that would start from uh, start from second instead of starting from pole I think it was Takanakagami that had to start from pole instead the quick restart rule is that you're only you're, you're, there's no there's no tire warmers allowed on the grid when they're when they're restarting, and there's only one member of the crew allowed per bike. Basically, it's to speed up the whole process so you don't get these long delays on restarts. <laughs> Pardon the irony. You'll see what I mean in a minute. But quick yeah. in inverted commas. Yes, in, in inverted commas. Because what had happened was the pit lane opens at a certain time when obviously when a restart is about to happen. They had the pit lane restart time up on the screen for everybody to see. What many of the teams did not know was that there was a 60-second window where if the pit lane is open at this time, you've got to be on track within 60 seconds of the pit lane being open. If you were not on track within that one minute, you will be accused of delaying the start and you will have to start the race from the pit lane. Now, they've put all these bikes out on the track they've lined up on the grid again for the restart before the warm-up lap and now race directions have to run out onto the track and say this bike this bike this bike this bike and this bike all go off into the pit lane because you were you were late basically and one of them was was championship leader alex rins uh which was very controversial so many course he was another one so they've put five or six bikes into the pit lane now, if you've seen MotoGP a couple of times before, there's been a couple of really controversial pit lane start incidents, like in like a Jacksonville a couple of years ago, Stefan Bradl leading for a couple of laps on a wet setup while half the field was in the pits, bunched up against each other. Now, obviously, they're trying to avoid incidents like this, so they realized, okay, we've got too many guys in the pit lane. Let's just throw the whole thing off. We'll do it the old-fashioned way. We'll have a new pit lane time, and we're going to make it a 10-lap race instead. So, uh... Johnson, it was all a bit of a farce, really, wasn't it? <sighs> Just a little bit. Like, literally, this couldn't have gone much worse for a system called the Quick Restart <laughs> System, could it? Uh, and this sounds like one of those classic examples where, on paper, the rule doesn't sound too bad um, and doesn't sound too confusing. But in practice, 
yeah, it starts to fall apart fairly quickly. This was, uh, yeah, uh, this this didn't look good, did it? Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it was an ugly look, and many people were watching the race were pissed off, saying, well, what's the point of a quick restart if it takes this long to bloody settle it, um, essentially? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's weird because I've praised Adorno on many occasions for being very, very good when it comes to on-the-fly decisions. Turns out this one was a bit bad, King. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like they didn't take into account that the teams might use up all the allotted time that they're given. Like, you know, <laughs> they would, you know, take their time to make sure they get everything prepared for the restart instead of going out as quickly as possible. Like, if you give them a set amount of time, they're going to try to use up all of the time. They're not going to, like, just rush out there. Exactly, and... It, it, it came back to having an effect on the race because Sam Lowe's um, complained after the race that he put the wrong tyre on his bike and he didn't have the grip to go for the win. Um, and again, part of that was down to the rush decision they had to make regarding the pit lane time because they had to be out there and on the grid within a minute of the lane being open. So it did actually play out and have an effect on the race as we saw Alex Rins had to start from the back of the grid instead of starting from the pit lane to sort out this quick restart problem. And hey... It turned out to be great for Rins because he came back to finish in seventh from the back of the field and in a 10-lap sprint race. So it says a lot about how freaking insane Rins was to even get through three quarters of the field in the space of 10 laps. Um, but yeah, it was Johan Zarko that took the win. We got the Zarko flip returning, which is always a glorious thing to see. Um, so yeah, Alex Zarko, sorry, yeah, Johan Zarko taking the win from Lorenzo Baldassari in second. Sam Lowe's on the podium in third. Thomas Luti fourth. Hafiz Siren in fifth. Pons in sixth, we had of Rins, Morbidelli, Nakagami, and Agata rounding off the top ten. Moto free and uh <laughs> Welp. <laughs> Holy shit! Is the only way I can describe this race. Um, well that wasn't bad, was it? Only the best race I think I've ever seen. Um I'm I'm not even joking when I say this. It was an absolutely ridiculous spectacle. I mean, for those guys that listen to Bike Live as well as the show, I said it on the show that Mugello and Moto3 is a spectacle to behold. It, there's nothing quite like it out there on the Moto3 calendar. And we interviewed Brad Binder on said show, and he said himself, you can't prepare for a weekend like this. You just kind of got to think on the fly and just go with it because it's just that mental, essentially. And... Uh, my word, we had bikes going five or six wide into turn one, incredible slipstreaming down the home straight, bikes going at 150 miles an hour, five or six wide. There was barely any moments of, of, of contact. There was only maybe, I think, one incident of contact in the entire race where Jorge Navarro went a little bit too deep around the outside of one Juan Guevara on the final corner, and he binned it. But, uh, Johnson, just tell me about this race. I mean, it, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> It was mind-blowing. It was absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, I this came a day after that we enjoyed some some amazing racing over in NASCAR. Like, literally, we had a, a, we had a three-segment sprint showdown race, which is the qualifier race for the All-Star race. Two of, them two of those segments finished in photo finishes. I thought that was about as much side-by-side -side racing as we'd see. Then I saw this Moto3 race, and I was literally like, okay, th there's, there's nothing else. Like, literally, we were watching some of the highlights just before we started recording this episode. Mm. 
And King and Dre were laughing their asses off at me because just every so often they'd be going, oh, you can't do that. My goodness, just gone around the outside there and someone else has done a thing and they're six wide across the line and they're nearly kind of getting on each other's bikes. I mean, that was the staggering part that they were literally, it was like a sort of swarm of bees, like a swarm of insects going around every corner. They're flying about as close together as they could do. Like, literally, there were points where they were almost, like, rubbing knee pads and almost kind of running over each other's rear and front wheels. It was astonishing precision and astonishing racecraft and just mesmeric. Just absolutely, you literally can't take your eyes off this for a split second. You're going to miss something. You're going to miss a pass for the lead. But it won't harm to look away for five... No, there you go. There's two lead changes. It literally, like hyperbole runs out for this race that's how good it was it was phew. yeah, I, yeah. I, I have a race review rating scale and i scored that race a are you fucking kidding me out of 10 because that's <laughs> essentially what the race was some fun facts for you there was nine different guys who led the grand prix and that's just over the start finish line i think there was something like 12 different leaders during the grand prix at any given point as many of you may not know, in the MotoGP scoring system, the top 15 score points. Livio Loy was 2.3 seconds off the win and did not score. He was in 16th place. <laughs> it, 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 it's that ridiculous. There was That reminds me a little bit of a joke I made once at, uh, after coming home from a school sports day. There were only three houses at my, uh, my primary school um, and we finished, uh, we finished last on the day. But... I came home and I remember telling mum, I went, oh, mum, uh, uh, it was our sports day today. And she was like, oh, that's nice. Uh, where did you finish? I, I said, oh, our house came third. And she was like, oh, that's pretty good. And I went, well, well no, it was out of three teams. Oh. So it's just a very similar thing. It's like, oh, where did you finish, Livio? Oh, only 2.2 seconds off the leader in 16th. <laughs> It doesn't, it's just, it's, oh, it, words, words are failing me. Yeah, I mean, and I've got to give a couple of shout outs here. Like, Fabio De Giantonino, a 17-year-old rookie whose best result was 17th going into this round, finished second on the Grassini Racing bike. That is the teammate of Ennio Bastianini, who many had down as the favourite for the championship this year. Just unbelievable performance from a 17-year-old, right up there, challenging for the win on many occasions. He led on multiple occasions, and out of nowhere, he was absolutely sensational to be up there. Here's the full running order, and we've kind of forgotten all this. Brad Binder took the win, his third consecutive win in the class. Binder is having an absolute dream season right now. and that's The his... bike life charm continues. Yeah, the bike life The man, it's, it's the myth, run. the legend. <laughs> the KTM fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, understandable, given uh, how, how brilliant the man has been. I mean, it was a brilliant loss. Uh, Binder took the lead into turn one and just did not look back. Um, Francesco Bagnaia was right there, but he did not give Bagnaia an inch. It was a masterclass in defensive riding from Binder, doing just enough to break off, or so he thought, just to get enough of a gap to lead over the line, and he did. It was Brad Binder that, win, that wins, his third straight win, um, and given that Fanati and Navarro did not finish, Fanati with, with a technical problem, and Navarro with that crash I mentioned earlier, he now has a 49-point lead in the championship. And now, so Binder in, looking in brilliant shape right now going forward. Um, so Binder takes the win. He f beat Fabio Giantino by 38 thousandths of a second ahead of Francesco Bagnaia in third, Nicolo Antonelli in fourth, Fabio Quattararo in fifth, the top five were separated by 0.77. The top five over the line, less than in the blink of an eye. Unbelievable finish. That's about the time it takes to switch a light on. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 
It's insane. It's like that's the top five cover by zero point zero seven seven. Hiroki Ono was sixth ahead of Joanne Mir, Nicolo Belega, Juan Fran Guevara, Andrea Minio, Jules Danilo, Enea Bastianini, Gabriel Rodrigo, Jorge Martin, and Lorenzo della Porta making his return filling in for Philip Otal, who had damaged his wrist in qualifying. And uh, yeah, the top fifteen was separated by two seconds but man that that finish i i've admittedly i've been watching that that run off the last corners of the line like three times since we started talking about it like dg antonio like he looked like mark cavendish had like a sprint finish at the tour de france the way he overtook the way he overtook uh bagnaia and antonelli to to take second place i just can't stop watching it it's magnificent <laughs> it is very cavendish like that's a very good analogy then Blessing, the poor man burst into tears when he got to Park Fermi, having realized, oh my God, I, I didn't win. Oh my God, I finished it second. Oh yes, yes. That was the funniest bit for me, seeing the reactions as they came across the line. Binder was just fist pumping because he obviously he somehow managed to tell that he won by somehow managing to judge on the fly that his wheel was a hair's breadth ahead of um, the, the, everyone else's wheels. And then you had second place just pounding the tank on his bike in fury. I think what he was secretly going was, Damn, I was half a wheel behind the winner. That must mean I finished 17th. <laughs> With that sort of finish, I wouldn't have put it past him. And then he was like, oh, wait, I finished second after all. Yes! Yeah, and uh, also what's, what's, what's funny of this is that literally in the last minute, the breaking news statement people have been waiting for, Louis van Gaal is stepping down as Manchester United manager. <laughs> Finally! Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was a thing already because yesterday I read, like, yesterday ESPN was re already reporting that uh, Jose Mourinho was going to be manager. Yeah, so... Uh, I, just, I just feel like, I know football's a cruel industry these days, I don't know why I'm still sympathetic to the managers, mm. but literally half an hour after the FA Cup <laughs> final ended, Louis van Gaal brings Man United their first FA Cup in what? many years mm. Dre you'll know better than I do yeah, yeah. half an oh, hour yeah. later people are reporting that he's been fired <laughs> if I'm him I'm like wow you ungrateful motherfucker. you're like do I get to take the trophy with me <laughs> yeah yeah I'm gonna I'm, I'm surprised he didn't just do a CM Punk and Money in the Bank 2011 and just leave with the <laughs> FA Cup trophy mm -hmm. oh, I'm just gonna take this to the La Liga now <laughs> it's a bad day for a red wedding <laughs> Right. <laughs> Just have to get that one out there. Uh, well played. Well rejoice, played. Rejoice as uh, Van Hal is gone and in comes the special one. Speaking of the special ones, Max Verstappen in Formula One, everybody. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not episode, was it 40 or 39, where we were all down on our knees just bowing down to the church of Verstappen last episode episode 40 yeah. it was a whole it was last episode it was, whole, oh, man. it was a whole five days ago Johnson I'm so glad you're still with us I'm not used to getting up at 6am and praying in the direction of uh, Zanvort <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, there is some talk regarding the Renault Cam headed into the Monaco Grand Prix this weekend as Renault have announced they've only got one version of their upgraded engine going forward for this Monaco Grand Prix weekend. So inevitably, it's caused some debate and dissension within the F1, the F1 Twitterverse as people have debated who should get the upgraded engine. Should it be Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricciardo? Hang on, though. Just, just to clarify this, this might just be a, a semantics thing. Mm. You did say Renault engine, didn't you? Yes. <coughs> Tag Hoyer. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Tag Hewer, of course. Um, it's the Reno engine that isn't really a Reno engine, even though it, it really is. Uh, I, I, I didn't want to pick you up on that one, but I was going to say, aren't Kevin Magnussen and Jolene Palmer set? They're like, excuse me, fellas, that's our engine. Come on. <laughs> Come on, we're, we're, we're getting two instead of one. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's why why not many that Renault was so generous to, to supply a rival team with an engine. I mean, how generous of them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say after such an awful breakup last year, that's a bit like going around your ex-girlfriend's house and making them dinner. Oh dear. <laughs> Are you speaking from experience here, Johnson. No. <laughs> 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 I, I'm not saying I'm not saying I know, but that's <laughs> we just sound like we're in the lyrics to the Offspring's self-esteem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm guilty of said crime. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Essentially, I mean, King, if if you're Red Bull, do you give Verstappen the engine here? <sighs> do, yes. I mean. I, I've Ooh. heard reports that they're giving it to Ricardo because he's the more experienced driver, but... And he's ahead of Verstappen in the championship. Yeah, and he's ahead of Verstappen in the championship. And... Uh, Verstappen at Monaco last year, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ricardo got the upgraded engine in Brazil last year, if I remember correctly. And if if I'm not mistaken, it was terrible. He had a retirement and he cost him an engine going forward for the rest of the season. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise that Ricardo maybe doesn't get this engine, so to speak. But um, it would be a nice little, uh, what I like to call, a what's really going on here moment if they give Verstappen this engine and Ricardo doesn't. And Ricardo, I think, has been pretty exceptional i've had him that as my driver of the season so far daniel ricardo because he's been so ultra consistent and has gotten the max out of that red bull pardon the pun um on almost every weekend so far and i think ricardo's done such an exceptional job and i kind of want to see him get the benefit of the doubt on this one but there's no guarantee that red engine is going to be anything better especially given what happened last year um you got you got to sense this one johnson before we move on uh i don't know like i i feel like uh, this is the F1 season where logic was just ripped up and thrown out the window. So I think we'll all make interesting cases for either driver to get it. And then they'll go with, I don't know, giving it to Pierre Gasly. <laughs> just because, why not? Because he doesn't even race it. It doesn't matter. Just let him have it. He's young talent. Yeah, go for that. Why not give him a Formula One ride? Yeah, actually, let's do that. Yeah. It's been that sort of season, isn't it? So I feel like logically, Ricciardo is probably the better choice, especially if you want to develop the engine further. He'd have more of the experience in that department. Maybe leave. It's not just that you're giving Ricciardo a better engine. It, it may not actually be an improvement because... Uh, you know, sometimes that's happened, particularly over in the Honda camp. They've come out with big improvements to their engine. Actually, it hasn't been an improvement. But, you know, you let Verstappen keep going in the established equipment. I mean, hey, he didn't need but one Grand Prix to get used to his new car, did he? But, hey, you leave him in the car that's already developed, that's ready, and you and you give Ricardo the more... The, the, the new engine so he has more of the experience to potentially develop it further. That's my reasoning. Again, we're approaching Formula 1 with logic. That doesn't work these days. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, so. Uh... It'd be intriguing to see where they stick that engine and uh, the perception of Red Bull going forward where that's concerned. Well, at least Renault didn't hesitate. They're like, yeah, K-Mag, it's yours. Yeah, they they ain't giving Jody and Palmer shit right now. Like, <laughs> the, like, like no way is that going to start being a thing. Well, they might be giving him a P45 soon if Esteban Ocon keeps stepping up. That's more like the rumour now. That's the only thing they're apparently rumoured to be giving Palmer. Yeah, I mean, holy crap! I've heard a lot of I've heard of a lot of uh, negative thoughts regarding Julian Palmer so far, which is a shame. We, we mentioned that on last week's show that he's not been particularly good since his uh, first race in Australia. But uh, yeah, with Esteban Ocon seemingly impressing people, it's going to be intriguing to see where that goes. Speaking of Red Bull King, it looks like the Red Bull ring could be expanding. Yeah, it seems it seems likely because there's been 
ma a massive construction project going on at the Red Bull ring, but Red Bull themselves have been really, you know, tight-lipped about what's going on. Like, yeah, it's clear it's clear by photos people have taken that they're that they're building a chicane right after where the current turn one is, and it. Uh, it's clear they're extending the race course to the where the old Ossesreich ring ran, but it's not clear for what reason. Yeah, like, Red Bull have kept their cards very close to their chest on this one, which I find very intriguing indeed that they're being so quiet about this in terms of just, you know, oh, we're just going to, you know, put a little wall here and, you know, build a couple of little bits here and there and hope nobody has to explain ourselves. Because that's kind of unavoidable because MotoGP is going to the Red Bull ring later this season and you know we have the f1 race i think in july where that's concerned so yeah it's it, it, it's one of those things where you just go huh but um i saw some on boards of the old um Aust was it was the oster ring yeah the oster Aust ring oster ring. ring yeah exactly and uh, that and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's a very pretty looking part of the world i can't lie i mean spielberg always kind of has been really in that you know, the forests and whatnot. I was thinking they might be going for the reverse Hockenheim approach. But we're going to put the track into the forests. <laughs> Looks really pretty through there. Um, like, like, the, like old, like old school Hockenheim. But, um, nope. Turns out they're going to, they're going to go back to the part, part of elements of the old circuit, which is kind of cool. And, uh, Johnson, this may not necessarily be an F1 thing. Yeah. Well, the, um, it was King that dropped this bombshell on us just before we started taping. And, uh, the rumour doing the rounds here, and this would make sense given the format of the track, given the layout with the, the, the opening chicane being the first corner. Normally you don't have a chicane to start a Grand Prix track. You give a sort of harder turn to give more of a chance for overtaking, but there's a chicane out there. The rest of the layout, the Osterite ring is one of those classic old school tracks like the old Spa and, and these great kind of classic Grand Prix circuits that flows through the countryside and there's none of the kind of sharp te technicalities of the modern circuits. But King... When you said who is potentially going to be using this layout and what Red Bull Ring are going to be pitching to run on this layout, it kind of made a lot of sense to me. Do you want to reveal who it yes, is? Yes, the FIA World Endurance Championship. Oh, baby. Shots Six hours of Austria. The tumbler of motorsport is taking over. We're coming up here, stealing your Red Bull Ring and taking your grid girls. Um, yeah, I mean... The WEC there would be very intriguing, but I'm not sure the track is big enough to make that a thing. Because how many cars are going to have to run on that circuit? Well, that's exactly why they're trying to extend it back to the old layout. They need that much room. There's often about 30, 40 cars in a WEC grid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's nearly there's going to be 60 for Le Mans this year, but that's Le Mans. It's a bit like the Indy 500. But yeah, they average between uh, 35 and 40 cars for a regular WEC weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's just going to be very intriguing to see whether that's true or not. Obviously, we'll wait for news regarding that. But I must admit, the Osterhager looks very cool indeed. Um, I love some of the old school onboard shots we saw of the old. Obviously, it used to be the, the Austrian Grand Prix circuit. But obviously, the, the circuit's been scaled down in that time since. But uh, yeah, very, very pretty uh, sight indeed. Now, to close the show, a very interesting uh, article here from DailySportsCar.com. And... It, it was it was a post regarding it says this says our friends at the Le Mans Libre newspaper have published an exclusive interview with the ACO president uh, Pierre Firon yesterday. See the French accent there. Wee <laughs> wee, oui, oui. which includes several very interesting pieces of news and information. Now this is in sections, but we'll run through it piece by piece, and we'll talk about it on here. So, 
Interest from new constructors. And this is the first section, and it goes, On the subject of potential new constructors joining the Le Mans 24 hours field, Ferrari will remain in F1 until they become world champions. I would find it an excellent idea if Fiat positioned Alfa Romeo in endurance racing. We are hopeful to see the return of a French brand someday. We are currently working slash talking with General Motors, Cadillac, as well as Nissan, who is working on a project after missing its last return. We are also talking with other German brands, most likely a reference to the current interest from BMW. Cost control and promotion of new technologies, allowing all constructors to compete with equal chances is central to our regulations. Very intriguing, King. It looks, it looks like Le Mans is actively wanting more manufacturers to take part. Maybe in the prototype category where Nissan tried and failed last year by the sounds of it. Yeah, it, it seems like they're looking for prototype manufacturers because General Motors already has a team in GT with Corvette and the Cadillac brand has been in the prototype class in the past. Not successfully, but they've been in the class in the past. Uh, Nissan, you know, they've tried last year they could come back with a more conventional style car and bmw they've been in the gt class but it seems more and more that they're being squeezed out by more competitive brands yeah it's very interesting when that's concerned i know like bmw said they're interested and i loved bmw's um uh, brand, yeah, Brandon, when they, when they would have the V12 LMR back in the day, I used to love that. And in, when, I, when I first started watching motorsport in general, so that I was classic. CMW, yeah, I'd love to see BMW back one day. And I think France in general is very keen on renewable energy and you know the electric hybrid movement that's going on right now, as, as he mentions later on in the statement. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where you know, it's going to be very interesting to see where that goes, and Le Mans is actively pushing to have more in there. And well, I think partly because they know that's a big selling point for the sports car racing movement at the moment. They understand that, you know, where Formula One still follows a fairly conventional template um, <clears throat> and and requires all teams and uh, manufacturers to, to conform to that, you know, same size engine, same type of powertrain, uh, they are aware that Le Mans, um, you know, the Le Mans 24 hours historically has always been a showcase for new automobile technologies. Um so they're well aware of that. I mean, going back to the mid to late 2000s, uh, they actively pushed to have diesel cars really running well at Le Mans mm-hmm. um, uh, to the point where quite often they'd end up accidentally probably going too far and kind of balance and performancing the petrol cars just out of competition because, hey, they just really, they really wanted to push diesel cars as being competitive at Le Mans. And the long-lasting legacy is that even now, Audi is still, uh, you know, are still racing and winning with diesel power plants. And now... They've gone full on into the hybrid uh, hybrid way of doing things. There was a moment of history at the last WEC round in Spa when one of the Toyotas went back out of the pits and completed the final lap of the race exclusively on its the electric part of the hybrid engine. So it did an entire lap on electric power. wasn't very fast, but still, it was a it was a a huge moment there. And you know, it just feels to me that it makes sense looking at the manufacturers that they're courting right now, particularly if it's someone like BMW. Just look at the road cars these guys are producing. You know, you've got BMW coming out with the i3 and the i8 and these really interesting uh, plug-in hybrid concept uh, cars, or, you know, not concept cars, they're production cars now. They're right there. And, uh, you know, in, J- uh, in Japan, you know, it always seems Germany and Japan seem to be where a lot of the interesting kind of developments happen in automobile technology down the years. I mean, Japan at the moment, I read recently that Mazda are actually trying to you know, because obviously hydrogen is becoming or could potentially be a huge um, 
power way of powering cars in the future for way of a better way, but through a hydrogen fuel cell. Mazda are actually doing some experiments with using hydrogen like a conventional petrol fuel in an internal combustion engine to kind of mm-hmm. say, well, if there's a way we can run it in existing power plants and avoid retooling manufacturing uh, outputs around the world and run that in the conventional internal combustion engines we already have the majority of the world over. So it's an interesting time for, 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 manu- for car manufacturing in general. And as you said, for, you know, France is really pushing ahead. I believe they have uh, an entirely carbon neutral electricity supply because a lot of it comes yeah. from uh, nuclear, I think. Um, yeah. Don't entirely quote me on that, but they are very progressive in that department over there. They're really pushing for it. So it doesn't surprise me that they want their flagship race to really continue that tradition going forward. Well, yeah. it, it also seems like... Uh, a little bit of a reaction to here in the States, we next year they're going to have the Daytona Prototype International. And recently, Bentley and yeah, it was Bentley and Nissan basically said that they're going to wait and see when it comes to DPI. They're, they're definitely not doing it next year. And maybe. Uh, so it's a little bit of a tug of war yeah, there as well. Maybe they brought that to the negotiating table with the ACO saying, like, if if you don't make the regulations what we want it to be or, you know, in some form of what we want it to be, we'll, you know, do Daytona Prototype International. And while they're also interested in Formula E, Formula E is also very limited. You have to you have to do bat- battery electric powertrains. You can't do hydrogen or any other kind of alternative fuel. So, like, the only outlet they could have is the World Endurance Championship. Very much so, very much so. Now, next section up, the French F1 Grand Prix. Mr. Finon also indicates that FIA President Jean Todt has asked the ACO to organise a French F1 Grand Prix at Le Mans. Finon, for the time being, has decided that, as the, sorry, for the time being, has declined for essentially two motives. First, he sees no need for it, and I quote, I think it would not bring anything. And second, we would need to invest 17 or 18 million euros and finance it via the ticket booths exclusively. At best, we would be breaking even on such an event. Now, we... So basically confirming what we already knew about how mm, financially insolvable it is to host Formula One races these days. Indeed, and, you know, you've got to have a lot of money up front to be able to host an F1 race, and Le Mans is actively... I mean... I saw a post from David Emmett, who's one of the best black journalists in the business, talk about why he doesn't go to Le Mans as a Grand Prix. And he says, he said to me before, that Le Mans is a terrible facility in in every way. He it's in a beautiful part of the world, but he, the, 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 the 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 buildings are old. They're kind of decrepit in some cases. You have to pay an absurd amount for the internet. The facilities are awful. And yeah, he he pissed on it an awful lot talk regarding it. So. The fact they said they need the need to invest 17, 18 million to their, well, yeah, it's about. I also what. feel like the layout just wouldn't suit Formula One racing. Yeah, I, how many times have we said that before? Though? Yeah, I, I'd assume like it hasn't suited F one in the past. F one tried to race at that same circuit in the sixties, and all the drivers hated it. I assume nothing has changed. And that was back in the 1960s when dirty air was just a thing you, you mentioned when someone farted at the dinner like, table. I think I forgot it was one of the Anglophone drivers, one of the British, you know, Australian or New Zealand drivers called it a Mickey Mouse circuit. It is a Mickey Mouse circuit. It's terrible. <laughs> it, it works. My only experience of it, funnily enough, do you guys remember the Le Mans 24 Hours video game that came out in 1999? Yes, yes. yes. It was a PlayStation 1 game. Um... Uh, I'm not sure if they had it in the PS2 version, but in that game, you could race the Bugatti version of the Le Mans circuit. And 
it wasn't really that fun in GT or prototype cars, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that a PS1 version of a real racing circuit is going to be a really accurate simulation, guys. But yeah, um, it works for motorbikes, uh, generally the more technical circuits with the sort of hard and fast, uh, court, you know, tight corners and that, you know, they, they need more of that for the Grand Prix racing. Uh, I just feel like if the discussion of moving, uh, you know, people mooted potentially moving from the, the Italian Grand Prix to Mugello, uh, or, you know, IndyCar going to Laguna Seca. It's one of those things that it'll be a great driving challenge, but I don't think yeah. the race would be much cost. But I mean, I I think, like, I want to, like, circle this back because it seems like a bit of reaction to, you know, the Indianapolis 500 finally reaching, you know, 100 Indianapolis 500s, where the French Grand Prix is older than the Indianapolis 500, but for various reasons has only had 86 editions so far. I mean, King, I mean, uh, we were speculating on this before the show. What facility in France could really... Because I, I still believe there should be a French Grand Prix. Yeah. If, hey, if it's the place where Grand Prix racing started, mm. come on, it needs to be. But people widely did not enjoy Magnicourt as a facility, especially as it was so out of the way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not many... And Nagaro, I don't think would be up to standard to, to host a Grand Prix. Bugatti, which is disgusting and safe. Surely that leaves Paul Ricard, maybe? I mean, I, Paul Ricard is a definite possibility. But Bernie Eccleston owns the track himself, and it's fairly... Would that be too much of a conflict of interest? No, basically, he doesn't want to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, so, and it's considered it a bit too close to Monaco for a lot of people's liking. So, essentially, you would have to build a new facility. Or host, yeah. it, host it at Le Mans or some other place in northern France. Or do a street circuit in Paris, because that worked really well for Formula E. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, so th 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 there's more on the table there. There's good and stuff about the Le Mans Resort. They're going to renovate um, part of the museum, as well as talking about the smartphone app, which is coming out for this year's race later in the year. So if you want to check out the rest of that, go to dailysportscar.com for more of that. And uh, thanks to these two for reminding me about one more story before we go. And I forgot about the Rio Harrianto story. Um, thanks a lot, guys. Let's go remind me of this. Like, <laughs> you, you got, we got, we got to appease our sponsors clearly. <laughs> but um, it seems King that Harrianto may be out of dosh before the year runs out. Yeah, apparently Harrianto has made it public that he does not know if he has enough funds to complete the season, and it seems likely that he won't be able to finish the season at Manor, and he could be replaced yeah it's um there's, there's always been I think, an element of uh, skepticism regarding harry anto's place in f1 it's a shame because again we mentioned before how it seemed to be a controversial hire to begin with but harry anto was good in his own right in gp2 in my opinion at least and you know the money is always a bit sketchy we had a story about this a few weeks ago where i mentioned they had to do another crowdfunding campaign with the indonesian government by doing a phone promotion gig. So, you know, like one of those Oxfam or Red Nose Day charity appeals where you text a number to donate such and such amount of money and that will go directly to Harry Anto's funding, which uh, is just mental to even comprehend and think about so as a reality TV show kind of, almost that kind of gimmick where you have to do that to raise money, Johnson. But uh, yeah, it's another black mark against Harry Anto's name and it's looking a bit sketchy. Good news for America though, right? Uh... <laughs> Hey. <laughs> like, like you just assume that it's going to be Rossi who gets the seat. Mhm. Mm yeah, I know it's like, but hey, like right, Rossi's got money, right? Well, right? well, an another place has a lot of money, and they also currently have a driver at Manor. They might put another driver at Manor named Esteban Ocon. 
Yeah, that could be a problem. It'd be uh, like, be Reno, big... like, Reno, that loan thing we have, it's over. Yeah, like, sod that. We're, we're taking him now. He's, he's ours now. We're going to hoard some more young talent because that's what the sport wants us to do these days. But, uh, yeah, Harry Anto in, in some trouble or it's concerned. I hope he sticks around because I think Harry Anto's not as bad as people like to say he is because he's not Pascal Wehrlein, who's, you know, German and pretty. But uh, it's, 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 it's I, you know, he's not looked as good as Pascal has so far this season. And, uh, Manor is still kind of shit, so it's, it's, it's not an ideal situation for anybody involved. But um, just before we go, Johnson, I have to say, great job on your NASCAR video the other day out of the race club, and uh, tell us a little bit more about it before we go. Hey, thank you. Very kind. I mean, you should you should watch more NASCAR races, <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs> this is another subtle attempt. This is how good NASCAR was, and now I'm just going to keep reminding you how good it, it is it right now. It was more you than the content involved, to be honest, but still. <laughs> <laughs> you came for me, you stayed because NASCAR. Um, oh, for God's sake. No, no basically, basically what it is... Um, I'm, I'm going to freely admit that uh, I watched Skellington and Cook Prod 1's great videos uh, reviewing Formula 1 races yeah. uh, in such a funny manner. Uh, shout out to those guys. And I'm also, and also a big I should, fan I should of note, the- on their podcast, they did give you a shout out and said they loved your video. Yes. Hey! I'm going up in the world. I, I'm feeling a lot of love for that video. It's brilliant. I was out with a friend that evening when the video dropped and my phone just kept going off, pinging with email notifications for comments on the video. It's fantastic. And um, between those two uh, and the guys at Old School Wrestling Review, who do, um, basically, as, as the name suggests, they do, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a video podcast reviewing old wrestling pay-per-views. Between those three, I was inspired to do this thing called the Classic Race Club. Um, something to do on, on Team Bomber Sports because trying to do stop motions every year let alone every week is it's just not possible not even Ardman animations can do that shit so <laughs> i've been looking to do other stuff on team normal sports and this is one of them it gives me an excuse to watch old nascar races and i basically invite you to watch them with me and it's it's great fun and uh, it'll mostly be old nascar races there'll be british touring cars and v8 supercars in there might even have to drag you guys in for an IndyCar or formula one special episodes things like that Yay. um and hey, I say it's Classic Race Club, implying that all the races are absolute classics. But hey, there's been some hilarious outtakes down the years. 2008 Brickyard 400 call. <laughs> so who knows? We might be taking a, a right turn into hilarity at some point. But yeah, you can find it on the Team Bomber Sports YouTube channel. Um, you Just search Team Bomber Sports on Google. It's, it's simpler. It's because it's one of those YouTube channels where I originally had another username. And now it's like uh, youtube.com forward slash nightfighter yeah i made it when i was like 17 and i yeah. thought that was cool <laughs> underscore channel something actually it's called team bomber sports that's yeah. basically what the Just hyperlink put almost team is bomber sports in a google search you'll find it um yeah. essentially but um a couple things i want to mention as well i have asked matt to come on the show he is more than keen to do it when he can find yes! the time so i thought i'd, I'd drop that little secret in there so people have been asking me dre you're getting more guests on the show matt is down for an episode at some point we've got a Maybe next week because we're not taping on Monday because um, Johnson's off in Wimbledon for the uh, League Two playoff final. So we're going to have to record later on in the week. So if, if my Wednesday is free and Matt is free on the Wednesday, I'm going to give him a Wait, wait, wait. Are, are we going to have a hangout for, you know, Memorial Day, the, the Sunday? I'm, oh, yeah, that thing. I'm, Only the biggest day of motorsport in the year. Yeah, I'm very keen to do this. I'm, I mean... I'm working this Sunday, though, unfortunately, oh. so I I will not be there for it if, if it comes down to it, which is kind of a bummer because I really was keen on it, but I'm doing a 
my manager a failure because he's got his son's wedding to go to and he couldn't get the day off work. What a git. Uh, You're so, a lot of soldier, Dre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta gotta look good because I mean I'm, I'm new to the job and all that shit. So people have asked me about guests. Matt is down for it, and Rebecca James is down for it as well. So, oh yeah, Dre's kryptonite. <laughs> I'm sorry, I came over all macho man for a second there. Oh, yeah. The kryptonite is keen. She's on holiday in in Barcelona right now as we speak, but um, she's more than keen to do an episode, so that's one to look forward to as well. You'll be coming back radiant and ready to roast Dre. If if you've never listened to Bike Live, you'll know that she is essentially my only weakness when it comes to podcasts. Um, yeah, it's like know. I had you two on a podcast and it just happened to be on one topic you two actually agreed on, so nothing happened. I know, the one oh time! Basically, you, basically, you know how back in the 90s and the 2000s, Michael Schumacher said Mika Hakkinen was the only other driver he feared? That's Dre with Bex, basically. <laughs> I, I, Bex is the Mika Hakkinen to Dre Schumacher. Oh, I thought it was the other way around, because, you know, championships. Oh, maybe. <laughs> 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 yes so uh for those guys that have been excited about that you know feel free and also hopefully as this is recorded by the time it's recorded I've, I've sorted out adobe and i'm gonna have king teach me everything he knows hopefully so i would like to add my hat into the review ring at some point maybe not as frequently as everybody else does obviously and with matt it's the backbone of his channel and shout out to him he's done a tremendous job with Mystery Science Fear F1. It's so good, so good. 100 subscribers already. The guy's absolutely exploding. He's doing a terrific job and one of the nicest guys you can talk to as well. Same with Cook. Delightful human being. Always a... They both gave me plenty of advice when I was... They both encouraged me to start doing it. I happened to yes. mention on Twitter that I was tempted to do a NASCAR thing. They were both like... They weren't like, oh, don't be like copying our format or anything like that because people can get a bit precious about online content. They both went... Do it, we'll help you out. So, yeah, like, nicest guys I'll, ever. I might have to give them a message on that one because there's a couple of things I want to do. Just, just like, I don't want to be specific to one sport, but there's a lot of classic sports, like, races that I've seen over the years that I'd love to do focuses on, like, stuff that inspired me in my childhood. Like, I remember Silverstone 99 with Schumacher breaking his legs, Brazil yeah. 2003, MotoGP's Estoril 2006, which is still an incredible Grand Prix with... I tell you what, yeah. there's not many people doing MotoGP at the moment. That might yeah, be where you can they're super stingy on copyright, that's why. Like, like, oh, that is true, that if, is if true. If F1 is bad, Dorna is even worse. Like, they've blocked their own video game before on many occasions <laughs> because, of, <laughs> because of how stingy... They're like Motorsports and Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, exactly, to, to put it mildly. So that's something I definitely want to do down the road is something as a little spare project of mine. Um, and your races that inspired me and my childhood because, you know, I guess the reviewing thing really is taking off and uh, it, uh, I find everybody's content great and I'd love, like, I've always wanted to do something like that for a couple of years but never had the tools and the editing to know how to do it. But if I can learn and I can do it, then I would I would love to do it myself on occasion because I think one of the things I'd love to work on for the podcast is more video content because I think it's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's great in this growing age that we can turn podcasts into something bigger um, and whatnot. So that's something I've always aimed to do. So that and possibly me getting a video camera for video blogs, race reviews, that kind of thing, maybe, you know, just just throwing that out there. If there's, if there's, if there's stuff you guys want to see from me, personally, is I can, if I can add to the video pot somehow, I'd love suggestions. So feel free to point them out in the comments or just get, in, get a hold of me on Twitter at Harrison101HD as well as John Johnson on Twitter at AJ underscore Bombersports and Ryan Eric King on Twitter. That's with two Ks in it. But um, that is just about it for episode 41. Thank you very much for listening to us indeed. And we will catch you guys next time. Thanks for for watching.
I cannot believe you.